Hello and welcome to Software Tech Talks. I'm Zoe Cunningham. On today's podcast, we're going to be discussing sustainability in tech. We're going to talk about what's driving this, how we're helping clients improve sustainability in their organisations and for their end users, and what the key challenges are around improving sustainability. I'm joined today by Chris Harris and Jenny Mulholland. Can I ask you both to introduce yourselves and maybe give me also an interesting fact about yourself? Hi, yes, I'm Chris Harris. I'm head of our support and small projects department and I have an embarrassingly large collection of Rittersport chocolate bar wrappers. (laughs) (laughs) For any particular reason? Uh, They've just got a lot of really tasty (laughs) flavours. I am Jenny Mulholland. I'm also in the the support and small projects department with Chris. If we're sticking on the uh, the topic of embarrassing collections, my whole house is filled with various types of penguins. Oh, that's <laughs> They're very cute. cute. Yeah. What's your favourite penguin? What's your favourite penguin item that you have? My favourite current one is one that I just got from ZSL, which is a very cute stuffed toy, which is very cuddly and, and you know, very cute. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if I'm really an adult, but hey, you're going to have <laughs> The major drivers behind sustainability are increased consumer interest in ethical and eco-friendly practice, global regulatory demands and the increased urgency around addressing climate change. Many organisations are now measuring their sustainability using sustainable development goals, but there's still some uncertainty around how you can create these and measure them effectively. So, Chris and Jenny, my first question is, what is sustainability? How would you define it? So very good question. I, um, surprise, surprise, did some research before this podcast and, and had a look at what people generally say. And people say that sustainability is most about meeting the needs of the present, but without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. So that's on the economic side, on the environmental side, and on the, the kind of social side as well. Although people, I think people think typically that when you're talking about sustainability, you're talking mostly about environmental sustainability, but actually it's kind of a wider picture. Yeah, so the, the UN sustainability goals cover a lot of things, including global poverty and gender equality, which is a broader definition than, than I would normally expect to find. Even within the environment, there's the reduction of fossil fuel usage, which, can, which is a, a key goal. But then there's also other goals such as, um, you know, avoiding deforestation, avoiding killing fish in the oceans. Right. Yeah. So it's not sustainable to keep pumping greenhouse gases into the environment, but it's also not sustainable for everyone to be so poor that they can't, you know, grow Mm. their communities and maintain them going forward. Mm. Um, Or that they end up in conflict with nature somehow over, you know, farming, farmland or farming resources or whatever it might be. So what's having the biggest negative impact at the moment in terms of sustainability? One of the things that I found out just looking at the UK is 40% of our energy use at the moment is on transport, 30% on domestic uses, and then sort of smaller proportions on things like industry and and services and offices. So actually, you know, we at home can probably make one of the biggest differences. But also thinking about transport, you know, how you get to work, but obviously business uses of transport as well. I know that aeroplanes, for example, have a really big impact. 
David mm-hmm. Mackay has defined a category called stuff, <laughs> which has the biggest impact, and that is the mm. production, transport, and then disposal of just all of the things that we use. So that's food and drink, but also just gizmos and computers. Mm. So it's not just transport of us. It's mm. not just I am going to go to Costa Rica and mm. that has an environmental impact. It's also everything I'm using. If I have a cup of tea, my tea has been transported here, which mm. I'm probably not aware of, yeah. but obviously is impacting on the environment and should be kind of counted as part of my cup of tea. Mm. And, and when that's been imported from overseas, that sometimes isn't counted in statistics as well. But obviously that mm. has a doubly bad impact. Yeah, it's true, because I was looking at sort of, I guess, day-to-day energy use in the UK. But again, this is all part of a bigger kind of global picture. And it's not just about what's being used on a daily basis, but it's about like you say, what's being produced and what then sits in our house gathering dust, but actually Mm. took quite a lot of energy to manufacture. Mm. So what can we do about this? (laughs) Or more particularly, what can tech do? How can tech help us with sustainability? So I guess one of the things that first came to mind when I thought of how tech can and has been helping is just simply awareness raising. So making it kind of, making people more aware of the issues, whether that's through you know, digital news, being able to reach a wider audience, whether it's giving people kind of bite-sized facts via Twitter, whatever it might be, but making it easier and more likely for people to actually understand the problem and be aware of it and take action. Like maybe, yeah, a simple website that enables you to calculate your carbon footprint and maybe even gamify the reduction in that. It's the kind of thing that, yeah, that, that, that would have an impact in people's behaviour. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's transmitting information and raising awareness, but then also practical kind mm. of, I mean, I guess it's computational even, isn't it? Like, actually, yeah. what, what am I doing and what impact is that having? But then there's also uh, a, a, another whole area of actually finding the solutions to a more sustainable civilization, society, and taking tech as a broad definition, you've got water treatment technologies being trialled in Mozambique, for instance, which uh, enable you to clean, sort of remove 80-90% of the impurities in in water, which obviously um, is going to have a big impact on the health in that area. Looking more at the kind of software side, kind of things that we do, I mean, smart appliances could have a big impact. So mm-hmm. really interesting, uh, sort of quite something that I find quite fascinating is this, um, this the, one of the problems of renewable energy is its variability. So mm-hmm. you can't just turn the sun on when you want <laughs> some power. Annoyingly. Yeah, <laughs> and there's not that many great solutions to how to how to store uh, the excess energy and then use it when you want it they're mm-hmm. not, not very efficient sort of battery storage solutions but one thing that you can do is use a bunch of electric cars hooked up to the grid to store that energy mm. when they're surplus and then potentially even then send some of it back to the grid when there's a deficit um, but obviously as a techie i'm immediately thinking about all of the amazing software challenges there are in that right uh, mm. to, to, to actually make that work on a, on a large scale mm. yeah which I guess is something we might touch on later in terms of things that software has done because we've done a few relevant projects in that area yeah good well tell me about those then so there was one project that we did working with an energy company to build the software system that sort of controlled a big network that they were setting up which had wind farms it had diesel generators as a backup it had giant batteries and then but it was also looking at domestic energy use so storage heaters you know sort of water tanks and things other ways that they could make use of 
wind energy as and when the time was right, when the wind was just at the right level for them to be able to switch the, the wind turbines on, but to actually then store that energy and make better use of it, for example, using storage heaters to keep people's homes warm then, even when the wind turbines weren't running. That was a really interesting kind of experimental project, and we were involved with writing the kind of control software and some of the sort of admin software, I guess, that people could use to monitor what was going on keep an eye on the the storage heaters set the programs that would be used to heat people's homes and generally kind of the sort of central point that made all of the different systems kind of add up and and talk to each other <laughs> and that was in the shetland islands right so kind of mm. um, very isolated community potentially with not that many options for for energy so particularly yeah. particularly vital that it that it worked yeah exactly yeah. exactly but also probably quite a lot of opportunity to use <laughs> to use wind power up there mm. so but there was a lot of work that we then went in went into which was about making sure that you know vulnerable residents and vulnerable energy users would still be safe you know would still be looked after would still have heat in their homes even in the winter so that's where it becomes really important that you're actually getting the software right you're testing it really thoroughly and all that sort of thing yeah, although presumably it's not just the software. You need to have the energy in the system. Yeah, yeah. So we were, we were a part of a much bigger kind of programme, I guess. Yeah, fascinating. Any other ways that software have helped? Yeah, so we've worked with Bayes, who are the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, on a really interesting project called Energy Saving Advice Service, which basically it's, again, because domestic energy use is such a big part of our our sort of UK energy use. It's about helping people gather that awareness, both about, you know, what their options are, but also what's going to save them money. But we sort of, we spent quite a bit of time doing user research into why people might be looking to make home improvements that might save them energy. Were they looking to save costs? Were they thinking of renovating their home and they wanted to kind of choose the most efficient windows, for example, that they could they could get? Or a new boiler, has their boiler broken? So we did quite a bit of research into what would bring people to come and look for more sustainable kind of options in their home. And then we built a, a questionnaire that kind of took them step by step through their own circumstances. I actually looked up their, their energy performance certificate for their home, so it gave them a bit of contextual information that, that sort of showed them how it could be applied in their home and then it gave them recommendations at the end depending on what their own needs were as to what they could do in the short term what might be a quick win what might save them a lot of money over the long term so yeah so that that sort of went down really well and um, people really appreciated the sort of personalization of it and the fact that it was tailored to their own home which I think again from experience from another project that we did with that department with Bayes that was about working with SMEs to small, medium enterprises to try and help them reduce their energy use. And again, we did a lot of user research and a lot of exploration into why people would even engage with the problem, which I suppose is why I mentioned this kind of awareness raising as being, you know, one of the really important aspects of this. And actually, you know, in an organisation like a company where it sort of feels like a collective responsibility... The, some of the most difficult things to do is actually to get individuals to own the problem, as it were. So we realised that by just doing small things like um, putting little nudges on people's screens, little messages, whatever, once a day to say, you know, have you turned off your computer? Have you Is the air conditioner off before you leave? And things like that. It sort of engaged people to to start taking responsibility for their office environment and 
certainly at Softwire, we found that once people start caring about, you know, environmental issues and things for themselves, then we start getting a discussion and a debate about, well, should we be having more energy efficient lighting or what temperature should we have our air conditioner on or, you know, should we be recycling food or whatever it might be. So actually we sort of, we, we basically realised that small things, even if they're not going to save the world by themselves, they do get that bigger debate going and they do get people engaged. And you can't really get anywhere until people are engaged and do want to make a difference. Even if you make a website, you know, you can put all of the information in the world on it, but if people aren't interested in implementing that... Exactly, which is why the approach that we took, which was so kind of user-led and user-centric design, designed with users in mind and lots of research and lots of talking to people who are actually going to be using the service. I think that's why that was so important. Fantastic. Well, this all sounds amazing. So why aren't more people doing it? What are the obstacles that are stopping people creating more sustainable tech solutions or implementing the ones that are already there? I think one of the things that Jenny's already touched upon is that problem of uh, who's paying for it. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes even if it's possible to make the most sustainable solution also the the most cost effective, that cost doesn't always necessarily get passed on to the end user. So if you're a tenant in a flat and your landlord is deciding upon, if you're if you're paying the bills for the heating, the landlord may not care that much about putting in up, upfront cost or even putting in the effort to mm. put in a energy efficient heating solution. Because mm. it's probably not going to get reflected in the rent and yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and again, actually, when we were looking at the energy saving advice service, that was a whole sort of category that we considered tenants and landlords so we created it so that tenants could still go through the questionnaire process but actually at the end because they weren't necessarily the ones that were going to be taking the action at home we created the outputs in a format that they could then email it to their landlord with a really simple list of recommendations where you know the landlord didn't have to think but there was also information about what the obligations were for landlords and things so it was kind of Still encouraging everybody to get involved and to take action, but trying to make it as easy as possible for busy landlords and and people, depending on their circumstances. And also it's a way then for people who don't have the power to directly make the changes themselves to Mm. exert some pressure on someone else who does have the power and kind of make their wishes known and say, well, actually, this is what I want from my property that I'm renting. And just, I guess, giving them the tools to kind of, you know, to do that job. So another thing to to point out is I think tech has a real responsibility to be focusing on the right problems because generally tech is being used these days to improve convenience and convenience and sustainability don't always go hand in hand. Mm. Um, so yes, if you had a if you're developing a, a ride sharing app that means fewer people use public transport and use cars instead, then that's not going to help or if you're developing magic services that just bring hot food to your door <laughs> like now i think about it that's not very sustainable either while it is super convenient i'm not proud of how many tupperware <laughs> containers i have in my cupboard at home at the moment <laughs> yeah you're not the only one <laughs> so one of the things that i think comes up a lot when talking about sustainability or any kind of problem that affects the world at large is it's very easy to to want someone else to fix it to kind of go oh, well you know if they did this if the government did this although it's great to hear that the government obviously are doing more and getting involved in energy efficiency but what is software doing like how are software making sure that that they're kind of doing their bit to promote sustainability internally 
So we have had quite a hard look at this because it's something that a lot of people at software care about. And if you kind of break down the three main causes of uh, talking about maybe fossil fuel usage in particular, for most people, they're heating and cooling, your place where you live and work, travel, and as I said earlier, the sort of production and disposal of stuff. So on that last one, we're very privileged at Software to have an in-house kitchen team and they provide healthy subsidised lunches for staff and guests, which is quite an expensive thing to have, but it really gives us that control over our supply chains and the amount of packaging people use. And we're taking full advantage of that in terms of using local suppliers with um, values that chime with ours and um, baking tasty goodies so that people don't have to unwrap Rittersport chocolate bars all day. Um, And through simple just nudges like having meat-free Mondays or having a little um, bar at the top of our lunch ordering app that tells you how many of your your meals have have had meat in them recently, we've actually managed something amazing recently. I think we've had 70% of our lunches have been vegetarian or vegan. So I think that's quite a big impact. We're also very proud of our efficient heating and cooling system. So we use air source heat pumps, which basically involve sucking hot air out from, from, from outside and using that to heat the building. So technically, they, uh, I think they are described as having 400% efficiency. Right, how do you get to that, that number then? <laughs> um, so for every one joule of, of energy you, you expend on, on extracting that hot air and using it to heat the building, you're getting four joules of heat to right. keep you warm. Okay, so that sounds pretty good. Hmm. You'd expect like one for one, right? That you'd spend a jewel and get a jewel. But. I mean, with, yeah, with that, without somehow using your environment, uh, either air source or, or the um, sort of geothermal energy in some way, then you're, you'd be very lucky to get anywhere near 100% because there's so much inefficiency in the heating system itself. But mm. this way, this is a way you can cheat and get over 100% efficiency. And Someone it's created yeah. a perpetual motion machine out of this, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> is this something anyone can do or does it rely on being in a certain type of building that can support? support you know these kind of new technologies is it just something that given the will everyone could do or is it that actually sometimes you're not going to be able to well our our building isn't the most modern ours is an old factory I think probably piano factory there's a lot of those around Kentish town but you know you can you can work with whatever you have I mean we've got secondary glazing in the kitchen for example to to keep the heat in I think a good time to think about it is whenever you're replacing a system or whenever if you're having problems with the heating system or whatever that's when to kind of think about well what's actually going to work best for this building similarly upstairs when we were looking at replacing the lights that's when we again brought in kind of more energy efficient lights we installed uh, sensors and things like that so it's definitely possible to work with what you have but I think it's not necessarily worth it to just come into a building and completely strip everything out and start again because the amount of energy that goes into stuff and creating the light bulbs in the first place and all the rest of it is worth considering. But it's an opportunity every time you're refurbishing to think about it. Yeah, exactly. I guess much of the same stuff that applies in homes also applies in offices as well in terms of using energy efficient appliances and things like secondary glazing and stuff and double glazing. Then on the third main area of travel, I think it's a bit bit more of a uh, thorny issue because what we, we do enable people to work from home and we do use um, video conferencing instead of face-to-face meetings where appropriate. But leaving aside the fact that it's nice to actually be in the same room as people, there's also the issue that if you've got everyone sitting in their own centrally heated flats all day eating prepackaged food, then is that actually better than having people come to the office and have communal 
resources that they're sharing. So I, I haven't done the maths to work out if it is better or not. <laughs> well, and also you have to factor in how people are travelling. So actually, if a lot of people are cycling in, yeah. that probably has overall net back to this kind of really broad term of sustainability. Actually, having a healthy, fit population who cycle mm. everywhere is probably better than not traveling at all Mm. so it's kind of I think these calculations get very complicated which is then back to that idea of having the tech do some calculations for you is makes it much easier Mm. yeah certainly I mean that was definitely one of the big driving factors with the energy saving advice service is having expert advice from the government you know to actually figure these things out for you so where should people go then if, if someone is listening to this and they want to improve their own personal sustainability in their house or in their office, is there a Bayes website link they should go to? Are there any other recommendations for where people should look? So there's simpleenergyadvice.org.uk, which is the, the Bayes website you're referring to, which will ask you a few simple questions and then give you some recommendations on how you can improve your energy efficiency yeah, we're also currently uh, working with a company called mustard.cc who have simple challenges for you to take on in order to reduce your carbon footprint. And you mentioned David Mackay's book, which is called Without, Without the Hot Air, isn't it? Sustainable Energy Without the Hot Air. I would thoroughly recommend everyone to read. Very clear guide to how we, it might be possible for us to get off our fossil fuel habit, as he calls it. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Chris and Jenny. If you'd like to listen to more Softwire Tech Talks, please do check them out on SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you usually get your podcasts. (laughs) 